In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Yeah, what's up everybody? We got something special planned right now. We got the one and only Adam Lopez coming on. Pretty excited. I uh, haven't seen this cat for a while and uh, he's doing big things. You know, he's doing real big things. So it's the first time bringing anybody on. So try to set up the split screen, have a nice interview and a conversation for everybody to check out. Yeah. There he is. Mr. Adam Lopez. What's up, man? Uh, you know what, man? We were, to everybody, that's, there's only a few people here right now, Adam, and I, I know that it may take a while for some people to filter in. Right. But uh, for anybody that's just showing up now, uh, I just briefly talked to Adam. We talked a little bit. I don't want to go too deep because I wanted everybody to get to see kind of uh, how he started, where he started at, and we'll start... We'll talk a little bit about how I know Adam and our friendship, but at the same time, man, I have so many questions for you. So I'll just start off with uh, <laughs> Adam and I have known each other for how many years, Adam, have we known each other? Oh, man, since we were six or seven years old. So almost 40 years. Oh, man. It's weird to say, but yeah, almost 40 years, like darn close. 30, yeah. 37, 38 years. Yep. So we played baseball together. We yep. skateboarded together. We went to Lincoln and then Rancho. Yeah, dude, I'm at the skate park right now. I just got done skating. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. I was totally going to ask. I was like, you know, gosh, we used to skateboard together. What? Yeah. So it, that is awesome to me, Adam. I, I want to just start off by asking you this. And as we move through our lives, people's lives change, their passions change. However, you are one of the only people I know that has apparently continued to skateboard like <laughs> me, but also you've really worked on your craft as far as being a musician and you stuck with it and you've had some big gains. So how, 
how, how does that journey change for you? Like, how, how did it go from the beginning to where you are now? Man, that's a, that's an interesting question. I'm not even sure I know the answer. Um, <laughs> like you talk about like all the changes that people go through and stuff. And I've gone through a lot of change, but I'm doing the same exact things that bring me enjoyment as now at 44 that I was doing when I was five years old. Like, basically, it seems like everything I, I learned about what I liked, I learned by the time I was five, and then I just kept doing them. Man. So I just found, I guess I found a way to, uh, you know, to get paid to do it so that I could keep doing it. And that, that was the goal. You know what? That might be the best definition of success I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's, that's, that's where I'm at now is learning to, um, to appreciate and recognize what I didn't recognize for a long time. Like I, I thought I was maybe not growing up and not doing like real life stuff, but um, now I realize that, you know, I've had it pretty good all along. Like I've been really lucky, super fortunate. Yeah. I, I, um, I heard a quote one time that said your first 40 years is the experience you get. And then the next 40 years is you interpreting that experience. You know, and, and when you say that, you know, I think one, another one, one of the greatest things that people can do is to see themselves the way other people see them. You know, we, we, all of us tend to be critical of ourselves. Oh, am I doing this right? Am I not growing up? You know, or am I, am I being irresponsible? But the truth is, it doesn't really matter what, what other people think about you. It matters what you think about you, you know? And, right, right. Uh, yeah, there, there's a there's a quote about, you know, it's not your business what other people think of you. <laughs> I love that. And I, I wrote a song uh, about that, actually. Oh, uh, okay. And it's kind of silly, but I, I wrote it anyway. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you, right? I mean, yeah. this, this leads up to something that I've always wondered about. I think all of us inside are an aspiring artist. You know, some of us are able to really coax out the, the part of us that is an artist. How is it that you find inspiration to, to write music? And how is it that you decide to translate that inspiration into action? The best explanation that I've like heard somebody else describe it as is, is from Bill Withers, who passed away recently. Uh -huh. And uh, he was really a matter-of-fact dude. So when somebody asked him basically the same thing, he said, you know, sometimes things just cross your mind. <laughs> and that, that's it. Like... Uh, you know, everything I, I write comes from observing or living through it or somebody else I know went through something. Um, and I feel like I can relate, even if I haven't experienced it. So on some level, I can understand or relate to it. So if I write about it, then maybe somebody else can relate or understand and either identify with it or at least have empathy or sympathy for somebody else that goes through that, you know? So... I don't, I don't have a direct answer. Like it just happens. I don't, I don't do it. It kind of just comes through me, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's, it's always fascinating to hear people talk about the creative process and how it seems to me that people have a unique process to go through. However, there's usually an underlying similarity in that they 
are translating an emotion. You know what I mean by that? Like they, they've been inspired or like you said, you've seen something happen, whether it's empathy or sympathy, and you're able to somehow express that in the music, which I think is beautiful. Yeah, I feel like the the best way to get there is just to let it happen, like get out of the way. Right. So so don't tell yourself you can't do it or that it's not your thing or you wish you could do that because I think, you know, everybody has a heartbeat. So music is in all of us. Like that's that's your, you know, that's your backbeat everywhere you go. You've got it. Um, you know, where I'm doing it, where I'm coming from personally is, I just love it that much. And I grew up in it. Like my, you know, a lot of my family are musicians when we were playing baseball and we were six, seven years old, like on the weekends, I might be playing at a party with my uncle's band. Ah, I see. You know what I mean? So, so for me, it's, it's different in the, in the regard that like, I'm a, I'm more of like a historian or musicologist. Like I know my history and I study it and I love it. And I do, that's the part that's for me. Like that's fun. Right. And then the creative stuff is, you know, my way of sharing whatever good feeling I get with other people. So hopefully they have it too, you know, and, and I don't think everybody needs to go that deep and devote their life to it or whatever, but, um, everybody's an artist, whether they know it or not. Yeah. I, uh, so I didn't know that about your family. Is it, it, does everybody play guitars? One play drums and one plays like the saxophone or, or how did that break down? Uh, like on my mom's side of the family. So, her brothers, uh, she's got a couple brothers that are musicians, and then their their uncles are, you know, like going back. They're all musicians. My great grandfather was a wow. was a upright bass and and percussionist, like in the '40s and '50s, professionally. Um, and then I've heard stories like going back to like the turn of the century, where we have aunts and uncles that you know back in the days where you played, where the radio was live music. Yeah you know, that we had relatives that that's what they did. So. See, this yeah. is, a, I've known you for 37 years and I'm still finding out new stuff about you. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's awesome. It's, I guess you could say it's almost, you're genetically predisposed, predisposed to be a musician. Yeah, probably. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what, entails that to be true (laughs) right but i mean like for the most part like the the travel and you know the the bouncing around from place to place and like all that stuff for the most part like is fun for me so all the all the other things that go with being the, the the working musician i more or less enjoy not all of it like i'm not i never touch drugs i'm not much of a i don't drink at all and, right. and I haven't drank that much over the course of my lifetime. Like eating on the road is kind of tough if you like to eat clean. Uh, <laughs> so that part of it is rough. But essentially, like all that goes with it, you know, because you have to take the, the good with the bad. So, yeah, I, I think I, I was pretty well constructed to, to do this. <laughs> do you remember, Adam, when you got your first guitar? Can you tell us about that? So before I got my first real one, there was a series of guitars that were toys, but to me, they were real. Right. You know, being like four or five, six years old. And then the first one that I got that I took lessons on, I was like seven. Okay. And I remember, I totally remember uh, getting it, uh, was it Oceanside Boulevard? Remember there was a Gemco just before you got to the highway? 
at the bottom of the hill? I do remember that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got it. We got it there. Um, and it was seven bucks. Wow. And it was missing like two two strings. Otherwise, it would have been like twenty bucks. (laughs) And I got that guitar. So that would have been like nineteen eighty three. Okay. Eighty two, eighty three, and then I started taking uh, guitar lessons on South Santa Fe at Bradford's Music. Nice. Yeah. I took guitar lessons for two or three years, and then like took a break for a couple of years, and then I went back when I was like 10 or 11 for a couple of years. Nice. Yeah. And so when you're, when you're at that age taking lessons, is it, a, is it, is it like a one-on-one lesson, or, or were you kind of jamming a little bit with someone that was instructing you, or you learned the chemistry of how to play with people? Or, or how, how do you go from, from taking lessons through understanding chemistry and playing with someone else? Well, like prior to that, like I'd spent countless days like in my uncle's garage while his band was practicing or sitting around the house while he was practicing and trying to like, you know, fake my way along. But I I mean, I had no, no clue what I was doing really, but I knew, I knew that I understood it when I heard it, you know, it's like, like people with uh, like foreign languages Mm-hmm. Right. Like they, they've they never learned it, but they know what people are talking about sometimes. Right. So for me, it was like it was just like learning a language, you know. Right. Um, but the, the lessons themselves were like in a tiny, tiny cramped little room. Like, I don't even know. It probably was it wasn't even 10 by 10. It was tiny. Right. Um, just, yeah. Private teacher. Um, you know, he was trying to show me the fundamentals. But basically, like within a couple of lessons, I think he showed me uh, the most like elementary way to play like Johnny B. Good. Chuck <laughs> Berry. And yeah. Chuck Berry, Chuck Berry at that time was my hero. Was he your hero? Yeah. At that point he was. And... Uh, so, I mean, he taught me that in 10 minutes and then I was just like off and running. I could play, I could play what I heard in my head and figure it out at that point. And I kind of, I, I wasn't the best student after that because he kind of gave me the, the information too soon. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like that even though he may have given it to you soon, it kind of helped you develop. Like, because you're kind of a rebel anyway, man. I, I mean, <laughs> but it seems that maybe he just gave you the, the I don't know, like the quarter beat or he just gave you the first beat and then you're able to run with it from there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and luckily, I picked up enough things that I should know besides what I wanted to know that later, (laughs) later in life, when people started asking me to teach them, I learned everything I would have learned in music school within a few weeks because I kind of, I knew it. I just didn't know the language of it. So teaching, teaching other people, I quickly put the language to what I heard or knew in my head to be true. Um, So my students that I started teaching, like, maybe 30 years after my first lesson. Um, really, I learned more from them in, in a few short weeks than I had learned in lessons, you know, in my childhood. So I was lucky that way. A lot of, I've talked to a, a bunch of teachers and I've, I've done some teaching myself and I've always heard and I would agree with you that you really don't know something until you can teach it to someone else and have them do it well. And that's when you yeah. know, you know it. Right. What, yeah. so it, sounds, it sounds like you know, with Chuck Berry being an early influence, 
you know, I, I was going to ask how you decided to play the music that you play, but it sounds like we're getting there by talking about Chuck Berry. Well, like I have a pretty, I, I'm an only child, but I have a big extended family and they're right. all musicians. Right. And they, they all have their individual tastes. So uh, I was taught early on what quality music was, what, what you know, quote unquote, real music was. And then um, taught to listen to, you know, more or less everything, like be open-minded, learn what makes certain music, even if you don't like it, learn what makes it good music to somebody else. Try to figure it out, you know, try to find, try to find what it is, because if you want to do this and you want to make, you know, a living out of it, you've, you've got to be well-rounded and, and educated. Yeah. Know? What, so can you, can you help those of us that, that like if, if if we were just learning for the first time how would you define quality music and how would you define what other people like oh uh, man that's tough i i was i just know i was lucky i was really right. fortunate that what i was given was i was given the right answer yeah and so um you know for me like my family was heavily into you know american roots music so you know the early like hank williams and bob wills country music and you know all the early rock and roll chuck berry little richard and elvis all that stuff um all the good you know blues yeah. and early blues you know from from the pre-war like 30 stuff to like muddy waters and howlin wolf and then all the rock music that came i guess i should i should i should also let you know like my uh you know my parents were around when i was young and and raised me but i give a lot or maybe more credit to my grandparents for for raising me while my parents were off working and doing their thing and so my grandfather who was uh he's still around actually but uh he was definitely like the patriarch of the family like everybody went to him for answers and he was from texas so when it came yeah. to mu when it came to music like that was that was the 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 hub or the basis for what everything else that we listened to sprang from, you know, and that's a big umbrella. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. it. Especially if you're born there in the '40s, like that's so that's 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 where my roots are. You know? Right. It's interesting to think about, especially. It's interesting to think about how different how different people can be raised and are raised. And I think that, you know, there's a, a quality of people who were lucky enough to have their grandparents in their house or in their life when they were younger. Because, you know, as an adult, you have kids and you think you got stuff figured out, but you, you realize when you talk to your mom or your dad about the kids that they're like, oh, listen, you dumb. You don't even know what you're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And all my friends that have, were lucky enough to have some, a grandparent or you know, whether it's a grandma or grandfather in the house, they they seem to be a little wiser than their age. And I think that stems from having that wisdom around. And, and so it's a, so let me ask you this one here. You've done quite a bit of traveling. Where, mm -hmm. Can you, can you, can you tell us, have you been throughout the nation, you know, or, or tell us a little bit about some of your touring? Um, I guess the music has taken me more or less from like, from New York to California. And most of that has been centered like in the Southwest and South, like Texas, Tennessee, Arkansas, Oklahoma, uh, Arizona, New Mexico. Most of it's been down there. 
Um, but I've seen I've seen a good portion of the country from from California to New York and up through Pennsylvania and all that stuff. I haven't been like to the Far East Coast or anything, um, but yeah, I've, I've seen a I've seen the majority of it. I think at this point, uh, a little bit of Europe, which has been cool. Right. What parts yeah. of Europe check out? Uh, I made it to Paris once. Whoa! Uh, you know, I got to touch the Eiffel Tower and see the Mona yeah. Lisa. Um, oh. I've been to Iceland a number of times, which is pretty cool. And then most of the touring has been uh, all around, like toured most of Belgium, I think, um, and, and a good portion of the Netherlands. Yeah. What was it like touring in Europe? What was each country in Europe like a state in the United States as far as the feeling, kind of a different vibe, a different place? Or how? Would you... uh, well, most of it, like I said, the most of it, ninety-nine percent of it's Belgium and, and the Netherlands. Right. Those places are similar, but you know, distinctly different. Um, like Vista and Oceanside, <laughs> <laughs> like very, you know, similar but not quite. Or Vista and Carlsbad, like. Okay. Like this is this has got some of what Carlsbad has, but Carlsbad doesn't really have the hood like this yeah. does, you know. Um, and and like Belgium, Belgium is very working class for the most part, like northern Belgium, whereas the southern portion's a little more French influenced. Right. Um, and then Holland, you know, Holland's like a lot of farm country. Um, it's got some some awesome like seaside towns that we've played at. Uh, and then there's like the more, you know, traditional, like old villages and towns, you know, that maybe aren't farming, but uh, a little more social, you know, town squares and restaurants and that kind of thing. Um, but as far as the difference between there and America, it's, it's pretty different. <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's a different appreciation for what we do over there. Yeah. I, I... Um, I've always found that when you travel to another country, the country you learn most about is your country. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I would say that. Um, I would. I definitely came home. Like I've done. There was a portion there where, where over the course of like a year to like fifteen months, I probably was. I probably had spent half of that that time between Iceland and France. So I was. Besides the 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 touring that I would do here. I was away from home for, for the better part of like six months or so, seven months in, in a different country and in that time in different countries. Yeah, I, I definitely came home each time with a different perspective on, on home, for sure. Did you write any songs while you were over there? I don't know if I sat down to write them, but I would assume, you know, I don't write. Lately, I've been writing every day. I write every day, at least mentally, but I don't sit down and, right. and it doesn't come out musically every day. So I don't know that I sat down and wrote while I was there because most of the time we're so busy. Like right. if, if, I, if I went over there for, if I went over there for like, uh, you know, maybe we would go over for two to three months at a time sometimes. Right. So if I was over there for like 70 days, I might play 90 shows. Wow. Yeah, so a lot of two-a-days, not a lot of time. Like, you're basically sleeping, eating, or traveling to a gig, you know? Right. Um, so I don't know that I really sat down and wrote anything, but I, I would guess a lot of the songs, you know, in between those tours w was influenced by being there. And there's, like, there's songs I, that I've written in the last couple months that are 
directly inspired by, you know, being over there. Yeah, you got a new album coming out, right? Yeah, I've, I've got a series of them coming out in the next few months. Um, I'm trying to line it up so they can kind of come out one, you know, one right behind the other. Um, and they're going to be uh, a little different than what I've done for a long time. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm lining those up right now. Nice. Yeah. You are doing that out of your studio in Big Sur up there? Yeah, I set up a, a, like a mobile studio in Big Sur, um, like overlooking the ocean. I think I sent you a photo. Yeah, you did. Make yeah, so yeah, so like two, <laughs> two sliding glass doors, you know, just glass facing overlooking the water, you know, just basically right over the water on a cliff. Yeah, I'm going uh, to put a picture later of like your guitar. You, the picture you sent me was just, it said everything. It was like your guitar and the sliding doors and then the view. And I'm like, look at this guy, man. He's doing it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, recording right now. Um, I've actually recorded one of the records and I'm going to, I'm going to do it again before I'm not going to release it that one. Right. Uh, just, just because I'm not totally, it's, it's, it's good, but it's not the one that I hear in my head. Okay. So I want to record, I want to make sure I record that one before I put it out. But the, the process for the way that I'm recording this is pretty quick. Like uh, the next series of releases is just going to be live acoustic guitar and voice like it's not full band productions like everything else has been so kind of like plugged kind of like an unplugged thing that you would see people sit down yeah. and get into yeah yeah so that you know when you're doing it that way the process is much quicker i mean right. i can re I, I can record the songs as in as long as it takes to play the songs i don't have to worry about overdubs or other musicians where it just it can take weeks or months um it's just a matter of capturing it on the right day at the right time. And so I, I'm, I'm just working on that. You know, it, it totally reminds me of like, this might not be the right analogy, but when you, with the way you describe the music is, you know, if you, if you have all these dubs and that stuff, it, that seems like process to me. And when I think of process, I think of processed food, you know, yep. you're doing it just like straight, you're, you're in big sewer, you're, you're being influenced by being healthy and, and eating the raw food and, and, now you're putting out the raw music. It's just like the unplugged acoustic version, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I eat clean. I don't, you know, no animals, no, no, very little processed or fake anything. Um, very, even very little cooked food. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't drink. I don't, I don't right. do any, I never really have. Um, and yeah, I think it's translating to the product I want to put out. And, and the analogy I, I make a lot of times for people is, like you know organic real food versus like mcdonald's like yep. that's that to me that's what the radio is you know <laughs> and so i, I want to give i want to give people and I, I mean i've always done it that way but even like the last record that i did in nashville the cinderella sessions that's all live wow. you know that's four guys in a room playing together and there's no there's no trickery there's no overdubs there's no nothing um <laughs> Other, other than the, the harmony vocal that somebody came in and did later. But he did it later that day. Like, the, the, the music, the, the, my singing and guitar, like, I, I played, especially in Nashville, it's a huge no-no. But I, play, <laughs> I played rhythm, sang, and played my guitar solos while the band was playing. You know? <laughs> like, uh, a lot of so-called live-in-studio recordings, even, especially in Nashville, like, the solos and stuff were overdubbed. You know, so we did it. It's it's all there. 
just like, just how we did it um, with it with uh, Lloyd Green on pedal steel. Who, who you know, if you're in the country music world, Lloyd Lloyd Green is on you know like the Mount Rushmore of pedal steel guitar players. <laughs> nice. So yeah, in the studio we did it in was was pretty legendary. But yeah, I'm ta- I'm taking the same process and just transferring it to me by myself with with one guitar and and two microphones that's almost like that's like the opposite of beck who had two turntables and a microphone (laughs) yeah uh yeah and it's i you know i hope people dig it like my music has never been polished or really you know processed all that much at all so um i think that that but what gives it a unique quality. And the more that I talk to you, and I think the more that, and I think when people listen to this, like that does translate. When we, you talked about your family, you know, kind of being the very foundation for you, being in music for a long time. And, and that, that's also probably why you were able to, when you got to Nashville, to kind of, you know, look, look like you fit in there is because you've been around the, the right inspirations. But I, I don't know that much about Nashville, and I, I know some people watching do, but when you said there's some no-nos in Nashville, like those are like the unwritten rules of the game, or can you tell us a little bit about Nashville and what it must have been like to get there for the first time? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they're they're known for the slick production and the very polished sounding, like per- perfect sounding records. Um, but you know, if you're if you're not in that world and you're just a, a music lover and listener, uh, you know that sound is not something that you just walk in and do a lot of those records take, you know, they could take a year or more to, to make. Right. And it's, it's very like, I don't know, not just processed, but it's very micromanaged. Mm. I mean, a singer could go in and sing like a couple syllables at a time and they can patch it together. Wow. And the guitar player can go in and record solos the same way or record 20, 50 to, you know, 50 guitar solos and they can take the best like notes from each guitar solo and stitch them together. And it's easy. It's easy to do that. The drums can be micromanaged to the point where the timing is so perfect that it can never be replicated like that live, Mm. you know, and and that's cool. It's, it's, you know, I don't, it's not good or bad. It just is what it is. And it's just not my thing. Um, and you know, for for me, for me, I want to be able to record the same way that I perform live, and it's never perfect, you know. Right. And I don't like recording over and over and over again. I just want to capture the essence of what I'm doing, and it just has to be good enough and have the feel, you know. For me, for me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I admire that. I mean, if I go to concerts, whether you know it's a favorite band or a comedian. I kind of like the fact that it's going to be a little different show than anybody else has seen. You know what I mean? I might, I might catch Adam Lopez on a night where he's like, there's something new over here. I might be the only guy to see that, you know, or yeah. I might get to see people working out material or, or I, and I, I didn't know that about Nashville. I didn't know that it was like garage band, you know, and, and maybe that's not an accurate assessment of, of what that is. I don't, I don't want to downplay that, but it's, it's fascinating to me because I've, I've heard, when, when I was young, you just hear about the legendary stars coming out of Nashville and people, if you want to make it, you got to go to Nashville and stuff like that. Yeah. But I've always kind of been curious about that. And, yeah, and, and I don't want to give the impression that it's all like that because it's definitely right. not. Right. Um, you know, some of the best musicians in the world are there. So they actually, 
you know, a lot of records come out of there and they just sound perfect or near perfect because those guys are that good. Yeah. But like when you think of, of Nashville on more of a generic level, like you think of what you hear on the radio and some of the, the so-called like country stars, yeah. you know, that, that you see on the billboards and that kind of thing. And those, there's so much money behind those records that they have to micromanage it. They can't afford to risk it, you know? So it's, it's, a, it's a different world. Um, I'm lucky that my world in Nashville is uh, a lot more uh, rootsy and organic. There's been a, a, a movement there in the last 10 years of uh, some younger guys coming up and, and doing things in a more old school way. And a lot of the, uh, the musicians that, that worked in the, in the studios on records from the, the golden era of like the 50s and 60s still live there and still work in the studios. Um, so I'm lucky that I got in with, with those guys, you know, I'm not, I'm not in with the Shania Twain's or Brad Paisley people of, of Nashville. I don't have any connections to, to almost any of them or any, any of those musicians, but, um, a lot of the old school cats, you know, a lot of the guys I work with have, you know, are in their seventies and eighties now, but that's, that's where I want to be. That's, that's just my thing. Yeah, it seems like there's a there's a commonality in the commercialness of things where, you know, when you, like, I know a lot of people that surf, and when they get sponsored, they're like, yeah, we got it. And I, I liken it, in my mind, it might be to a record deal, and let me know if you think it's accurate. Once they get sponsored, they're all stoked, but then they realize that that sponsor owns them. I'd imagine yeah. that. You know, you put out a record and then they own all your stuff. And you, at first you're stoked and you're like, wait a minute, they own all my stuff, right? Isn't that kind of Yeah. Awesome? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's totally like that, you know. The, the big difference is, is, is with, like, the bigger labels, traditionally what happens is you get a lot of money up front to make that record. Uh, and you think it's your money. And you get to, you know, you pocket some, you live off of it. So you right? can, and you spend it on the studio and the musicians. Because you can't, you know, you can't necessarily work 40 hours a week and make that record. Right, right. But you don't get any of the money from the sales of that record mm. until all the money that they gave you gets paid first. I see. Interesting. So, so you don't have that 40 hour a week job once the record's done. You also <laughs> don't have, you don't have any way to, you know, to generate income off those record sales until you make all that money back. You know? Yeah, it's pretty... And, Kind of sinister, if you think about it. Oh, yeah. I, I think it totally is. <laughs> okay, good. Um, me, me too. You know, so, so I, I, uh, I went without a lot of those opportunities, partially by choice and partially just because they weren't offered to me. There were some that were offered to me, but, um, you know, I, I've, I've done it on my terms, for better or for worse, and it's cool. Yeah. I dig it. Like, I, I've been able to do, you know, like we talk about coming from Vista – yeah this this is super diverse you know and if you know it if you know it as the the beautiful lush hillside community with nice houses and and you know a pretty good medium income um and you assume that that's where i came from then you probably would assume that like i could afford to 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 do this because there's money somewhere else in the you know in mom like mom's bank account yeah. Or, or grandpa's bank account that if I failed and had to go back home, it wasn't that big of a deal. And the reality is, is like, I came from the other side yeah. where, where, you know, my parents were teenagers when they had me. 
Right. You know, at least my mom was, and my dad was barely not a teenager. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he didn't work. My, my father didn't work very long before he, I don't know if you remember this, it happened. It happened when we were like seven years old and we were on the same baseball team. My dad was like in a major accident and broke his neck. And that was it. Like no, no, no more work, no more anything. Mm. So basically, basically a single mom working, you know, a yeah. job or two, a job or two. And so we were, you know, we were dirt poor for the most part. Like I shared a bedroom with my parents up until that point, you yeah. know, and, and I didn't live in a, an actual house until I was 17, you know? So it took, it took a good decade for us to get to the point where we could move into our own house. Um, so instead of, uh, you know, like, I guess what I saw around me told me that the, the risk involved in, in trying to make a living at music wasn't that big of a risk. Right. Like, like the people all around my, my circle, you know, like my parents, friends and whatnot, like most of them were alcoholics, probably, you know, used drugs or sold drugs. Right. Right. Um, and worked, worked, you know, like construction jobs or like manual labor. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's fine. And, you know, that's whatever. It's not, like I said, it's not good or bad. It's just not my thing. Right. But, right. but what I saw was people working really hard and not getting anywhere different, you know, their whole life. And a lot, I've, I've revisited some of them. Their, their whole life was, was, and still is, you know, they're in their sixties now there was in like a 10 to 20 mile radius of home. And that yeah. was it. Yeah. And that was it. And still is for a lot of people. So I figured like, well, I do know what hard work is and I know what, you know, integrity is. So why, why don't I just take that, and apply it to something I like. And if I'm, you know, what's the point of working a job I don't like and living at the poverty level when I can just apply it to something I do like and live at the poverty level and still, <laughs> and still get by, you know, right. still, still keep a roof over my head and food in my stomach. So yep. that's, that was my silly theory. And it, it turns out that, you know, it worked and it worked a little, even a little better than, <laughs> than eating crumbs. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's still, it's still getting better. You know, it's getting easier every year other than the current situation right now, yeah, which is I, kind of, kind of a mind blower, but. That is, how is that affecting the music industry and not only the music industry, but how is that affect your, your life? It sounds like you're able to record albums, but I bet you can't go and play anywhere. Yeah, there's. I mean, I can go play in the street corners, which is mm. kind of cool because that's when I was that's, younger. I did a lot of that as a teenager. Right. Right. Um, but uh, it's it kind of happened at the at, in a weird way. It happened at the best time for me because I was already transitioning out of you know because most of my most of what I do would be considered like Texas music. It's Right. kind of runs the gamut of country and roots music and blues. Um, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of my, uh, home base musically was out of Austin, you know, like I worked in Nashville quite a bit, but it, it wasn't a home base. Um, I, I still have a place where I, but, uh, I, uh, like I still have a, fr a room at a friend's house where Austin musically is like my home base. So I, when I, 
was living in Denver for a while and I was traveling back. I was spending like half my time in Austin and half my time in Denver. Basically, to answer your question, like in all of that, I was transitioning out of solely relying on playing like dance halls and bars from like 10 to two in the morning, four or five nights a week or whatever. Right. Um, to doing more production behind the scenes work, like getting uh, music for like TV and movies, um, online content, you know, providing music for that uh, songwriting with, you know, I can release my own music that I write on my own, but also get it out in the world where other people maybe would, you know, maybe some of those bigger acts in Nashville might record it, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so the way the current situation kind of hit, I was already in that transition. So I wasn't really playing out live. And I hadn't been for a, about a month when I first heard about the COVID thing. Right. And then when it really hit and affected me, um, like in what, March, I guess, it really kind of took hold. I hadn't been playing. I'd only played out like twice in like three months where I was before I was playing out like five nights a week. And I had been for years. I was working, you know, at home to, to basically change my business mold. Right. So that I could play out when I wanted to and, and when it was fun, but generate income, like I said, with production and, and songwriting. This all hit and that kind of put everything on hold, including the production stuff. It's, but it, it's, it's allowed me to keep working on songwriting and recording those songs. But I had to shut down my studio and all that stuff because I just didn't have the space to keep it up, you know, and, and I didn't have the income from the gigs to afford to keep it. Yeah. So what I did is I went out and got like a side job for fun and for, for like, you know, money in the pocket. And it's the first like real job I've had in like over a decade. So it worked out in that I'm glad I did it right? Be because when the COVID thing really took hold, I found a better job that also provided housing oh, in nice. Big Sur, right? So like... That's hard to beat. <laughs> yeah. So I'm getting paid to live in this cool house, plus I'm getting a paycheck in a, in a place that's able to operate during all this. Right. So even though I'm not playing music, I wouldn't have been able to do it anyway had I you know, not prepared. I didn't prepare for COVID, but I did prepare for it. Not know unknowingly. Yeah. It, right. So, uh, it's been a, a huge, uh, blessing. Like it's, it's been awesome. It, it allows me all the time I need to write and record and still make some money and still have a, a cool house and the, you know, in a amazing spot with a roof over my head. So it's kept me from performing live, but I wasn't really doing that anyway at the time. <laughs> You know, I was I was trying to be sneaky about it and I didn't announce to anybody really like that I was retiring because I I was retiring in a sense from right. a part of it, but not totally. Because um, the, the bigger picture, like I said, besides the production was to take the songwriting stuff and go out and perform it, but not have to, you know, with songwriting, you can perform it in coffee houses and listening rooms and theaters. Right. And you're done by nine or 10 in the evening, not, not just beginning your night, <laughs> you know, cause right. uh, I was working really hard to, to get out of, uh, uh, out of that environment that 
other than playing music in it, I'm not comfortable in it. I don't, like I said, I don't drink. I don't, I don't care to stay up till three or four in the morning or, you know, I like to get up early and, and rise with the sun as close as I can, yeah. uh, you know, and, and exercise and run. And, you know, I, aside from music, I try to lead a, a healthy lifestyle and playing, you know, most nights of the week and staying up till two or three, cause you have to, it's really hard to wake up early and it's really hard to, make time to meditate and do yoga or, you know, all the things that I prefer to do with my time. Um, it just got, it just got to the point where I, I had experienced enough of that music in, in the music world of that element. And I feel like I've kind of carved out a place for me where my reputation and my, my pedigree or my resume, I, I felt like I got to a point where I could make that change. And I, I'm pretty sure people are going to still support me in, in making music, but I can make it more in a way that suits me and my lifestyle and not just suits the music, you know, suits both. Yeah. It sounds like it's the natural progression of a maturing artist to move from, you know, that phase of being out on tour and on the front lines and then moving to a position where, you know, like you said, it, it's, it's, if you want to live a healthy lifestyle, you gotta gotta follow the Earth's plan. Get up when the sun does, and go to bed when the sun does. You know? Yeah, and so, you know, being able to do it as a solo artist, I'm not responsible for a band. I don't have I don't have you know, people that I have to feed and and transport and yeah, um, and yep. you know, and lodge on the road and, um, you know, when you have that kind, that's overhead. It's a business, so it's yeah. overhead. Um, and so when you, when you do have those things and I was lucky, like those guys are my, to this day, like the guys I work with are my, some of my best friends. Like we keep in touch, even though we're not working together. Right. Um, so I'm not complaining, but with that overhead is the need to work as often as possible. So that if that's four five, six, seven nights a week, right. you never say no to work. Right. Um, and it's great and it's fun. And, you know, I did it for a long time. So I got to experience a lot of awesome things that I never would have otherwise. I'm glad I did it. But if I look at the long term, you know, I only needed to do it so much before I've been there, done that. So as, as a songwriter and a solo artist, I can tour kind of on my own schedule. So I, if, if I just if I want to play one or two nights a week and spend those other five days actually seeing the sights and and running those trails and hiking those trails and stopping to experience that you know this town or that town or this restaurant or whatever i, I can do it you know yeah I, and like i said before like i'm really lucky in that I, I i feel like i have a good standing in the music world with the the supporters and the music fans and stuff that in the venues that i can continue to to work it, and even though the product is similar, it's different. People yeah. are, I think, you know, people are still there to support it. It, it allows me to live because my, my lifestyle has always kind of been adventurous and, you know, going out and, and experience like surfing and then going out to the mountains the next day and mountain biking. Yeah. And then, you know, on, on the other days I'm skateboarding, like, yeah. So, you know, when you're, when you're in a van full of, guys that you're working with, there's not a whole lot of time for that. You're always on the go. 
you're always just trying to catch up on sleep. You're always trying to, you know, catch up on nutrition. Yeah. And then, and then it's time to set up and work, you know? So yeah, I've just, the COVID thing, it, it, I think, I think it's in a weird way going to play out in my, and it has so far, it's played out in my favor, you know? You might want to dedicate the album to COVID. It's it's done a lot for you, man. This was this goes out to COVID right here. And there's some songs that, you know, there's some songs on that will be on the first one, and they'll probably be, you know, I've got it. I've already got. I want to do them in nine song increments because I like the number nine. Nice. Okay. I think it's a, like time wise, I think it it's a good you know because that's that's for me that's roughly. 20 to 25 minutes worth of music okay so like for the modern attention span i think it works out well it's not too much yeah it still fits on a vinyl record nice like like old school vinyl records which we we did on the last the last record but an old school vinyl record like if you look at those they've only got like four songs on each side right because you can't put as much music on a record as you can on a cd right right so it, it works out in that regard. It, it's kind of a throwback to, to how, how records were released time-wise. But with that in mind, like, I've, I've got, I don't know. If I do them in nine-song increments, I'm probably sitting on five albums worth of material right now, plus the songs. I'll probably write, you know, between this and the next time. We message each other on Facebook every yeah. week or two. Yeah. All right, so by this time next week, there'll probably be another three or so songs like for for the sixth album that'll be done by then so yeah that's i don't know if i'm answering any of your questions or just rambling okay (laughs) so yeah that's 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 kind of the covid thing for me right now is is it's allowed me to make that transition and it allowed me to do it under the radar nice right because one of the things i was i was really struggling with do i tell people i've retired and and I'm and changing my business mold, mm-hmm. or do I do it under the radar and just and and not make a big deal of it? Just make this the the next new thing without announcing it. And I, I was worried about it because for a couple months when I wasn't playing gigs and I didn't tell anybody that I wasn't playing gigs except for a few people that asked, all my my friends that are musicians were still out there working and I wasn't out there with them. Yeah. Right. And I was starting to wonder, like, if people start noticing that I'm not out there with them, that's um, like in the business, in the business sense, regardless of what business you're in, that's not necessarily a good thing. Right. You, you don't want to be out of the loop too long. Right. And then, boom, this thing all happened and nobody's playing. And nobody really noticed that I wasn't because <laughs> because we've been in a, we've been in the COVID situation longer than the time that I was taking that little hiatus. Right. Started that to the time COVID really hit was only a, a couple months. Whereas now COVID has been here for over three or f- three, four months now. I first heard about it in December. Yeah. And, and I started seeing uh, people affected by it as far as employment and, and that kind of thing, like in February, you know, so it's been almost half a year. Yeah. So, so in a, in a weird way, like it kind of leveled the playing field of all my, my friends that are out there, uh, you know, full-time musicians 
it leveled the playing field of them not being able to play, me not being able to play, and then the couple of month break that I took where I just chose not to. You know, you know there's an interesting pattern there that I see, and it's, I think it happens to all of us, but from what you've just said, it has become really clear to me. And I think that that pattern for creativity is that when you leave a group of people you normally hang out with, it tends to be a transformation for you. And if you look at what happened to you, if you, you kind of went out and then all of a sudden you've changed up your business mold. You've changed up this style from, from this style, from late night style to this acoustic or a bit more organic form. If, people are honest with themselves, I think they would find when you leave the security of the group, you're forced to grow. When you leave the security of everything you know, you're forced to rely on yourself. And that's when the real creative process happens. That's when you can truly translate vision into reality. When you find the courage to go it alone, you find out what you're truly capable of. I think I didn't realize it until you said it, but I totally agree. Like looking back, um, you know, one of the reasons besides like the, the lifestyle part of it that I wanted to change things up is when I was playing that much. And, you know, I, I'm not like I play theaters and, and, you know, sometimes pretty big festivals, but most of my work was like small theaters opening for bigger names or hustling bars like dance halls, like down in Texas or in Colorado or Oklahoma places where people go to dance and drink. And those gigs are four or five hour gigs every night mm. with almost no breaks ever. Like we rarely took breaks. Right. Cause because we were successful, we would a lot of times not take, take breaks because we were, people would come to dance, you know, when we played. Right. Um, and so, the the energy expense to do that and catch and, and try to get enough sleep during the day and all that thing i didn't i i lost the ability to to practice you know practice guitar yeah. i lost the i lost a lot of the time to r sit down and write songs because you're kind of at the mercy of inspiration so you can't just do it whenever you want necessarily and i lost uh, you know, and I shouldn't say a loss. I, I knowingly gave those, I paid that price knowingly well to do, to do, to do what I wanted to do. Right. And I just got to a point where I didn't want to do it anymore. I gave up a lot of the time that I spend like now reading and meditating and learning about myself and life and all that kind of thing so that I can write better songs or that I can, further educate myself about how music works because it's i'm always learning sure whether it's whether it's music production or just the craft of music the language of music since november i've really been diving deep into practicing and learning and education uh you know all my education for the most part is self-education you know mm -hmm. i i i did take guitar lessons but i didn't take that many for that long and i wasn't a great student in school i was in the gifted programs for quite a while but then i got phased out because i just was detached i wasn't into it right. i was just because i was good at it didn't mean i was good at it you know what i mean yeah. um, and i didn't i didn't care for it it didn't speak to me you know like i went to college for a few months to palomar right um but i did it because my mom asked me to do it just give it a try yeah 
you know? And so, you know, by the time I graduated, like my grades weren't great from high school, but not because I couldn't, I just didn't want to. Um, And so I, I honored my mom's request to at least try college before you just go off and do what you want to do. Do this for me, do this for me. And then you can go do what you want to do. Right. So I, I took the entrance exams, like after being like, you know, like a C, C minus C plus right. student at best. And I got, there's like, I think there's like a, a 30, there's a three part uh, entrance exam or placement test that they put you through. And it's like 30 questions, like in three different departments. And I, I only miss one question from each, from each department. <laughs> So like, uh, I got a ninety-seven percent right. on my on my entrance placement thing, and so they put me in these really ridiculously difficult classes. <laughs> but the one thing that they did put me in was like this really high-level literature creative writing class, mm-hmm. and so that was cool because I I loved it. In math and science, I could do, but I just didn't care enough about it to to apply myself, and I'm not I'm not smart enough. To, to be able to miss a whole chunk and then catch up. Yeah, that's really difficult. Yeah, I think that's difficult for anybody. Yeah, you know, it, it brings up a, a, an interesting point that it's so amazing how like different literature can influence us. And a great story is something that everybody can get behind. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mythology and history that, that speaks to the heart of it's just a good story. And if you, I've been reading like a lot of Joseph Campbell lately, and it talks about like the hero's journey, which is he did mm-hmm. call to adventure. And then he, he meets a mentor. They go on the call to adventure. They almost lose, but then they conquer it. You know, it's like the story of everyone's life. And it seems to me that you may have implemented the hero's journey when you were driving your big rig about 103. That's a Dale Watson song. Sorry. Exit 109. Except 109. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, my buddy Dale Watson wrote that. Yes. It's hilarious. (laughs) If anybody's not aware of Dale Watson, he's one of my favorite songwriters around, like so clever and like poignant, but like simple, you know, like, and and funny. What a a sense of humor. Yeah. And and those, you know, I think that might come along with, you know, we were talking about processed music and processed food. So many people, you know, the, it seems to me a lot of really great songs tell a story Mm -hmm. but it just becomes a hook and a few lines of dialogue. I think you get away from the real, the real soul of music. You know, I I like the storytelling and I, I think that that is something that you've been doing. And I think that there's, we could use more of that in the world. Yeah. um, See, like what I, what I, when I think of what I do when people ask me, it's hard to, to explain, but like, like folk music is, is what I do, but that, that's, that's, that's become a sound. It's become mm-hmm. a thing. Like it's become like Bob Dylan and his acoustic guitar and his harmonica. But folk music is not that it's a type of art. Right. And it's the type of art of the working man, you know, the, the, the common man. It's not classical music. It's not educated music, but it's, it's relatable music to, to the 99%. That's, you know, country music is folk music. Blues music is folk music. Rap is folk music. Yeah. Right. So um, 
I've always tried to work under that umbrella so that I can, I can play whatever different sounds I want, but it's, it's that blue collar, you know, folk approach. Um, and, and real quick, speaking of Dale Watson, he's got two songs, at, at least two that come to mind that you should check out. Talk, one of them is called country, my ass <laughs> and talking about the Nashville thing. And, okay. and one is called Nashville rash. Okay. <laughs> you should check the, check those out. They're hilarious. Yeah. I can't. Um, I will. Yeah. But yeah, like getting back to, to kind of come full circle to what you were talking about. I, I, I left college after a few weeks. Hmm. And, and the reason I left is because of a, a few, I think it was like three weeks or six weeks in, I got a, I got my first like real gig. I, you know, I'd played like backyard parties and stuff before that and, and made money doing it. Like I was making, I think I first got paid to, to play music when I was like 12 or so. Like people, people, like in in junior high like at lincoln would have backyard parties yeah yeah right and and some of us hung with older people that were in high school so we we were going to backyard parties we were living like we were in high school when we were in like sixth seventh grade because right. vista was that kind of town you could do that yeah um it wasn't like now where backyard parties are just like super difficult to to pull off without getting shut down um so like i was hanging out with older dudes and and hanging out at parties and stuff but, I, you know, we'd get hired to play music at parties when we were in, like, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. So, like, I was already making money doing it. Right. But I got my first, like, real gig where I was me playing songs I wrote um, in San Diego. Like, I had been, I had been uh, learning my craft. Early on, somebody told me, if, you know, it's great that you – because I just wanted to be a guitar player. I want to play guitar for people and, and just sit in the back and do that. And that's what I was doing. But I, somebody told me when I was real young, like, if you want to have a career and you, and you want to have some job security, don't just be a guitar player. Learn how to sing. Learn how to write a, learn how to write a song so that you learn how a song is, is constructed so that you have, you know, it helps your guitar playing. It helps you back somebody up if you know how songs work. Uh, if you can create your own songs and you can sing, you can also be your own business, your own yeah. entity. Um, so I got a job uh, when I was like 18 or 19 in, in Pacific Beach uh, at a place called The Interchange. Nice. And they gave me, I think it was Thursday night. Every Thursday was mine. And the reason it opened up is because Jewel had been there and that was her gig. Whoa. And she got signed and and she had to leave. And I took her spot. Wow. Yeah, that was like my first, like, you know, f first professional gig as myself playing songs I wrote and learning that craft, I'm trying to get back to, to answering your question, like where it all kind of originated from and talking about education and all that stuff. That's that's how I got my foot in the door. You know, a, a, a fellow singer songwriter who was pretty successful in Southern California liked what I did and supported me. And she said, you got to meet the owner of this, of this coffee house. Cause a spot is going to open up, you know, a residency is opening up. Right. And I didn't know it was jewel. I just, yeah. I just thought it was, a, I just thought it was a gig, but I knew that the place had a reputation as one of the spots where the pros in San Diego played. Cause yeah. at, at the time there was a coffee house on every corner and they all had open mics and they all had live music on the weekends and 
almost anybody could get a gig doing that, you know, including me. I was getting gigs doing that, you know, occasionally. But this was like a, a house gig. This was, you know, you're on, you're on the roster. Yeah. Um, and, th and that's kind of where it started. That saying at the time, being, being able to tell other venues in other cities that that's what I was doing with my Thursdays. They were like, well, okay, we don't even need to hear you. Just come in on whatever date and we'll give you a gig. Yeah. You know, and so it's just been a, a process of, of that approach and, you know, tr doing my best not to burn any bridges and doing my best to, to offer a, a quality product that I've been able to just kind of keep building it up. Yeah, it seemed like see that part I find really interesting, and it's something you would only know if you were in the business. There's so much rich history at clubs that you wouldn't even think are clubs. So there's so much rich history if you if you if you learn about it. Like, you know, how many people have played the Whiskey a Go Go? How many people have played, you know, uh, different rooms in San Diego? And, and it's just. Like I had no idea that Jewel played there or was like a resident there. And it just, mm -hmm. that's the, the stuff you would only know if you were in a position like yourself. And yeah. And that, that was, that was, that was where it all started. Like the, the, we we're talking about being self-educated for the right. purpose of furthering, you know, your life's goals. So if you're not going to do it via school or traditional roots, you still have to do it. Right. You still have to put the work in. Um, and not just the, the hands-on work of your craft, but you have to know the history of the, the people that, that, that did it before you so you know how to connect the dots and how it got to where you are.
in yourself. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.